This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, June 18th, 2020, and I have not one, but two awesome special guests on the show today. I have Alex Katusian of Qualcomm, and I have Sasha Segan of PC Mag. Hi, folks. How are you? Hello, Miriam. How are you? Hello, Sasha. Long time. Hi, Alex. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, doing uh, as well as can be expected, considering how weird the world is right now. Tell me, yes, you're correct. It is a crazy time we live in, but it's also an exciting time. And the reason I have you on, Alex, is because of the Snapdragon 690 platform that was just announced this past week. Super exciting to have a mid-range 5G capable platform from Qualcomm. Can you tell us more? Definitely. I think, uh, you know, we were dropping some hints last year at some of the bigger shows that, you know, we're going to we're going to extend our 5G roadmap into into mid-tier. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, just following the trend that we usually do, you know, every 10 years a G comes out. So, you know, it's been more than 10 years since 4G was introduced. And so, um, you know, when we introduced 5G in 2019, our full intention was to drive the roadmap of 5G down into the into the lower tiers as well. And that transition has happened relatively smoothly. Uh, you know, we introduced uh, the 865 premium tier processor, and then we had the 765, and now we have the 690 here. And uh, and I think that trend will continue as time goes by as well, and you'll see more and more of our technology and our devices being driven down into lower tiers as well. That's pretty awesome. We all have questions, obviously. Uh, Sasha, I'm sure you have a whole bunch of questions. My first question is, I mean, I'm going to preface this by saying, I am not invested in millimeter wave like Verizon is, right? I understand why this is important to certain operators and carriers. So I feel it's an okay decision to not have millimeter wave on the 690 platform. But I want us to know a little more about what the process was there and that decision-making. Was it a cost thing? Was it just looking at the global market, what is available in terms of 5G coverage? Like Maybe walk us through that. Yeah, sure. So first of all, we just I just need to let you know, Qualcomm is one of the biggest supporters and proponents of, uh, of Millimeter Wave, for sure. And uh, I think it's a, it's a technology we believe in, uh, you know, from a... Uh, uh, from a proliferation perspective, it's uh, it's gone relatively well. It's not as fast as sub six uh, globally, but uh, we have uh, we have big tier one operators that are supporting millimeter wave. They they very much believe in it as we do, and uh, and proliferating that in our roadmap is also a priority. The six ninety is you know we have to take so many other things into consideration in terms of. Um, what we proliferate down into our roadmap. It's not just the modem piece. It's, uh, it's availability of 5G you know, from a global perspective. Uh, what application processor features do we migrate down to have uh, mid-tier phones be you know, very productive for consumers? Um, it's uh, not a question of uh, affordability, uh, but it's a question of how fast can you spread 5G on a global basis? Uh, including U.S., including Asia, 
India, Southeast Asia, China, all of those um, all of those regions were taken into consideration when we looked at the 690. And I think, you know, introducing millimeter wave is just a matter of time. Uh, it's not particular to one device. It's just a matter of time as to how we proliferate that down. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sasha, do you have any thoughts, any questions you want to ask about the 5G aspects of the 690? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about, and I'd like to hear Alex talk a little more about uh, promoting 5G device adoption in the US because um, we've been looking at, I've been looking at some studies from companies like M-Science, um, which have uh, really pegged the availability of more affordable 5G phones and more differentiated 5G performance as driving uh, faster 5G adoption in China than in the US. And it feels like uh, here right now, um, the millimeter wave devices are very expensive and uh, sub six devices aren't really offering differentiated performance because our country doesn't have a lot of dedicated uh, sub six uh, spectrum for 5G. Um, so, and the 690 doesn't really seem to solve that problem for the US. So how does that problem in the US get solved? Sure, um, so first of all, when you take a look at uh, 5G uh, aggressiveness, um, it really, from a, uh, from a China perspective, it's been super aggressive. And, um, you know, the, the uh, proliferation of base stations across China has been, has been an amazing thing. Um, by the end of 2019, I believe there were somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 base stations across the, uh, across the country of China. Um, by the end of this year, it's predicted to be a million base stations. And uh, so, so that proliferation by itself is driving the, the handset makers to bring on more and more 5G-capable devices into the market. And they have some aggressive pricing there as well. Uh, when you take a look at the US, you're correct in saying that um, spectrum availability is is you know was part of the problem uh some of the spectrum available in terms of bandwidth uh it wasn't that large and so um the the performance that you would see on sub six millimeter sorry sub six 5g versus uh lte wasn't that that wasn't that big because 100 200 megahertz wasn't a, is not available but then uh concatenating those um, frequencies that are available into, you know, aggregating those carriers will make that possible. So from a sub six perspective, we had some, uh, you know, we had some issues of, uh, of bandwidth availability for some of the carriers. And as you know, T-Mobile and Sprint merging also causes, cause some slowness in terms of making sure both networks are operating together at the same time. Um, and, and then, and then, uh, over time, as, as we understand what the, what the spectrum availability looks like, we can put in multiple carrier aggregation schemes to uh, make sure all of the carriers that are available for the, uh, the wireless carriers in the U.S. can get combined so that it gives a better user experience on sub-6. That's, that's one thing. Second, um, I think coverage on sub-6 uh, is going nationwide with the lower bands. Um, 
And so that would be good. So combining that with carrier aggregation is going to give you, you know, a better user experience on sub six. On millimeter wave, um, there was a lot of issues um, in, in different regions when you have to get uh, municipalities to agree with you to try to put in millimeter wave towers. And there were some issues in terms of putting those towers up. But I think that's being worked out relatively well by, by Verizon. And um, w- one of the good things that's come out out of the COVID situation is uh, they've been able to put up towers much easier than they did before. Uh, you know, lack of traffic, getting municipalities to agree with them. Uh, all of those things combined have allowed Verizon to proliferate millimeter wave and the towers more. Um, so I think and, and what you're going to see over time is um, the prices of handsets using both millimeter wave and sub six are going to start to come down more. Uh, you know, we have aggressive OEMs from China that are that are going very aggressive, $500 and below pricing for, for uh, 5G handsets. But I think you're going to see that starting to come around in the U.S. as well. Um, you know, towards the end of second half of this year, I think there's multiple phones being planned that are more aggressive in price. And I think both the OEMs and the wireless carriers realize that there need to be incentive for people to move. Um, there's lots and lots of uh, companies working on applications and services based on 5G. Uh, there's even uh, multiple marketing funds being put out um, to try to make that happen by multiple different companies. So I'm, I'm actually very hopeful in seeing more aggressive pricing for 5G coming through, as well as applications and services and proliferation of of those services throughout the country of the U.S., not just China and other places. Yeah, I think I'm excited to see the 690 really helping with that. I, I want to bring it back to the chip a little bit, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, you know, I think that Sasha makes a point, which is the impression that we, the media, I think the people paying attention to this had and wanted to kind of funnel down to our audiences was when the 765 was announced in December last year, we thought, hey, we're going to get a simultaneous release of products with both in the US. Like that seemed to make sense to me since they both have millimeter and sub six and that, you know, phone people want to buy phones at different price tier. Yet it's strange to me that here we are in almost in July of 2020 and we still don't have any Snapdragon 765 devices on the market in the US. And then, you know, now you're launching the 690, which is fantastic i mean i have sub six here in san francisco on both at&t and t-mobile um well it's not officially on t-mobile but it's it exists there's pockets that are being tested that i can use it on i had both in portland when i lived up there and i've i love it like it's it's just great it's more reliable than lte and it's it has, it has better reach like i get a little better signal in the same places so it's not particularly fast but it solves a problem for me. And I imagine that a lot of people right now in this time of pandemic that are suffering economically, this 690 is like the perfect weapon for this. It's sub six only. And it's AT&T and T-Mobile have, at least T-Mobile have really good low band networks right now. And, you know, what we need are the, are the phones. And so that's kind of why, why I'm, I'm a little kind of like, hmm, this is weird because when I go to the carrier stores, I mean, online or in person, not that I can in person yet, I see 865 everywhere. 
like that's all I see. And and that was the thing that surprised me about this this year so far is that you announced this mid-range chip, the 765, and we haven't seen phones in the US. And yet now you're announcing the 690. And as much as I'm 100% for it, I'm really, really hoping, as you said, that we can accelerate the release of, I want to see $300 phones with 5G in US stores, in US carriers, not the weird unlocked Moto G thing, like literally carrier advertised on the shelves, you can buy this phone, you know? Yeah, I, I I I agree with what you're saying, but let me just give you a little bit of background with uh, with the U.S. market. The U.S. market is predominantly a premium tier market, and the reason for it is uh, the history of of phones in the U.S. has been um, subsidized. Phones were subsidized, so you were getting premium tier phones subsidized to two hundred dollars, and you would have to sign up for a two year agreement. Well, those sub, you know, on the surface, those subsidies seem to have disappeared, but they actually didn't because you can return your phones. You, people will buy those phones back. Um, there's two for one deals. There's lots of things that actually continue that subsidy. But then on the monthly basis, when you're looking at a premium tier phone and um, say, for example, a high tier or mid tier phone, um, the monthly payment differences are not large enough for someone to say, you know what, I, I really can't afford the premium tier phone. I'm going to go to a mid-tier phone. And so that's why the U.S. market has stayed predominantly a premium tier uh, phone market. Uh, and so when you, when you look at the reason why the H65 has been coming out in the U.S. is because the target market for the U.S. is really premium tier phones. You have Apple phones coming out. They're certainly premium tier. Uh, even though you know they have lower tiers of it now, uh, but you don't you know besides the iPhone SE, you really don't have a five hundred dollar or a four hundred dollar phone, um, and so so really when eight sixty five proliferates in the U.S., it's natural because the the consumers in this country they go towards having a premium tier phone more than a mid tier high tier phone. If you take a look at China, India, some parts of Europe. Mid-tier and high-tier phones become very important because the consumer, the consumer there, uh, by far, spends more of their money on high-tier and mid-tier phones than they do on premium-tier phones. So, if you take a look at the percentage that's been that's being sold in, you know, in in China, and and from a China and India perspective, phones are actually sold through distributors much, much more than they're sold through carriers. Here, what you see is phones being sold through the carrier. There's all sorts of deals coming through. There's monthly rate plans and all this other stuff. When you take a look at the other parts of the world, they're really buying phones through a distributor uh, or through other channels. And then they, they pay for the phone. And so they, they look at the affordability. Can I buy a premium tier phone or can, should I buy a high tier phone? And they compare and contrast some of the functions such as camera, CPU capability, graphics capability. and if they if they can afford the premium tier phone, they buy it. If they don't, most of the money is spent on high and mid tier. Like I said, so when you compare that to the US, it's slightly different. No, I agree with you. But to me, it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem, right? Like, because we don't know what, what the market's looking like after this, now that the pandemic and the economy has changed. Well, and some of it starts to be, some of it starts to be breaking in the US this year when you look at the uh, S20 sales and you look at how the S20 has not 
made as much of an impact on the market as the S10. Um, you think, well, is this um, are, now that now that these phones are twelve hundred, fourteen hundred dollars? Um, has that finally broken the American budget, especially in this these difficult economic times? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, and I think um, you know a lot of our OEMs are very conscious of that too, and they're they're pushing um, they're pushing all of their suppliers to to reduce uh, costs so that they can actually bring on a uh, consumer friendly price, and I think. You know, I've heard from multiple different OEMs that, you know, right below $1,000 is where they want to land. And as you know, when a, first, a technology is first introduced, what happens is people try to recoup some costs associated with all the R&D they put in there. So naturally, prices of some of the transition phones are high. But then uh, the factors that you both, both, you meant, both of you mentioned are absolutely correct where um, some affordability comes into the question, uh, economic impact due to COVID, uh, even, even uh, to a point where mid-tier and high-tier phones can become really good performance. Uh, and so, so people will say, okay, do I need to really have a, uh, a premium tier phone versus can I just have a high-tier phone? And when I say high-tier, I mean anywhere in the price range between, say, 500 to 700 uh, maybe seven hundred fifty dollars, and then a mid-tier phone would be somewhere between three hundred fifty to five hundred dollars. So think mm -hmm. of it of, of those ranges. Yeah, my gut feeling is that you know I completely agree with your market how different it is in the U.S. versus say India, where a lot of my listeners and audiences. But I feel like I think fundamentally, if you had a phone at a carrier that was well reviewed by the media, had five G from T-Mobile, say, and cost three hundred dollars. And it was $10 a month instead of 50 on subsidized or whatever through the payment plan. People might look at it. Like, I think there are some people who economically are going to go like, I can't, I can't justify an S20, as Sasha said. And they are not also interested in buying Unlocked from Amazon because that's like scary to them, right? And I totally understand that. But right now they don't have that $10 a month option on a phone with a 690 or a 765 or that $500 option that we can point to them to as, as media and say, hey, this is a great phone. Like right now we can point them to the Moto G Power and G Stylus and G Fast and the TCL 10 series that are not 5G phones. Like, well, there's a 10 series that's coming that's 5G, but you know, we can say, hey, these are, these are great phones, but they still can't really buy them from the carriers. You know what I'm saying? Now, and that's the challenge. If I could, if I could ask one more question about the chip though, because we've been throwing around the 690 and the 765 a little bit interchangeably um, over this conversation. And now knowing that the 765 has more bandwidth in the modem, let's set that aside. But aside from more bandwidth in the modem, um, I think also I'm used to, and Miriam, you're probably also used to when we see 600 series uh, working with things like the 626, the 636, which are a very different, they're very different than something like the 675 or the 690, which we haven't seen very much of in the US except in the Moto Z4. So Alex, I guess the question I'm getting to here is, um, how do you differentiate 
the 690 from the 765 other than on modem because it's not really a mid-range chip like the 626 or the 636. Yeah, I, I think from a processor and graphics perspective, so CPU and GPU are the biggest differentiators. Um, you know, I think, I think uh, camera-wise functionality is a little bit less. CPU and GPU performance is a little bit less. Uh, and I think on the most part, on the most part, um, the OEMs, when they pick a 690-type device, they will consciously put on less camera capability. So they'll use, uh, you know, they'll use from a number perspective, less cameras on the phone. Uh, from a, from a, uh, a megapixel or gigapixel perspective, they'll, they'll curb that. Uh, the, the choice of display is going to be of less quality. The choice of uh, mechanical engineering and materials used in the phone is going to be cheaper. So they, they actually take the entire system together and, and they, they say, okay, uh, I, I, will, I will target a certain price point with these functionalities and this bill of materials using the 690. And you know they could, uh, some OEMs, I've seen them range chips that we have in slightly higher priced mid-tier phones and slightly lower priced mid-tier phones. So they can actually skew a chip like 690 into maybe two or three different models and sell them at different price points. And that's a, that's a, a very common, that's a very common use in, uh, in, for example, the China OEMs and OEMs like Motorola and others. And then the 765 over time uh, because the lifespan of some of our chips are somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five years. They last that long. Um, but in the first two or three years, what they would do is, you know, they will introduce a 765 at the maximum amount of affordability for that tier. And then over time, they actually drive that down. And as time goes by, um, obviously, our costs go lower because our yields become better and we have better flow through our manufacturing process. Uh, you know, we can we can pass that on to our our customers. I'm 100 percent sure there are other vendors are going through the same type of uh, cost reduction capability that that we have. Uh, so what they do is they take, a, you know, the same chipset into a slightly different phone design and they proliferate that down as well. And the same thing is going to happen to the 690 and, and so forth. So that waterfalling type of of a situation is common. Uh, but then I think. More importantly, when they pick a 690 chip, they'll say, okay, how can I maximize my return on investment? And then how do I get to scale from a slightly lower tier using the exact same chip so I can save on my NRE as well? So that's how uh, usually it flows. Yeah, I'm excited actually about some of the spec features besides the fact that this is a 5G cable chip. I mean, let's touch, touch on this really briefly because we're running out of time, but I, I feel like the 120 hertz display support, for example, is yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see more and more of that, I think. And then the other part that really got me excited is that you're using A77 cores from, from ARM. And that is kind of basically coming down from much, much better chips for you folks, right? And yeah, that's exactly correct. So, um, so let, me, let me just touch on the 120 hertz. Many of the displays in production today even though they're not running at 120 hertz, are capable of doing 120 hertz. Really, depending on the display driver IC that's used in the phone, 
that can enable that 120. So then that really comes down to um, the, uh, the chipset manufacturer like us to say, hey, I can support this via my hardware and I can support it through my software integration and, and combine that so you can use that for, for your 120 hertz display. That is a big selling item. I'd say, um, look, there's a few things in the, for consumers that apparently are very important. Uh, cameras, one. Uh, yep. Believe it or not, the amount of memory that you carry in the phone is two. Um, CPU, uh, GPU capability for gaming. Those become very vivid um, features that people look for. Uh, by the way, the feedback from our customers, our direct customers, number one, number one feature that they picked out of anything else was CPU. The OEM, the handset OEM is saying CPU and GPU, because I can sell those two features very easily to my consumers, that's my number one priority. I would have thought it'd be battery or something, you know? The consumer looks at it a little bit more practically and says, hey, if my phone doesn't work, I don't have a phone, it's a problem. So battery life is number one for me. And then second is how quickly can I charge that battery, right, when yeah, it runs out. Of course. So, so those two, that's the, that's the distinguishing. So the reason why we use the A77 is because we got that feedback. But now we're, we're only using two of the A77s instead of four. So uh, we have six small cores. We have two big A77 cores. And then we make sure we don't, we don't run um, the speed too high on these devices because you really want to try to address the displays that are affordable for this tier. Uh, you know, you can have a massive engine, but then if it can't output to something that you can see, what use is it? So I think we had a balance of using two big cores and six small cores. And then um, that's an attraction for, for the mid-tier. And then the 120 hertz is, is awesome because the displays are capable of doing that. All the manufacturer has to do is, is, uh, is switch display IC, uh, display driver ICs, and then we have a chipset solution that works. And I mean, 120 hertz is, I think, once you experience it, and especially once the mid-tier customer are going to experience it at three to $500, is going to be a mind-blowing thing for people. Like, I, I can't live without it now. Yeah, me too. I switched to, I switched to 120 hertz phones a while ago, and I absolutely do not want to go back. I'm kind of flipping back and forth between Samsung and OnePlus phones at this point. Yeah. And I just, I, yeah, I absolutely cannot go back, especially given that I now, you know, in quarantine, spend, you know, most of my evenings sitting there scrolling. Yeah. So Sasha, the biggest change for you was the smoothness of transition from page to page or icon to icon. Is, am I correct? Uh, actually, specifically the smoothness of scrolling in the web browser. I see. For me, it's just the, the general fluidity of the UI. If it's been well optimized, like, you know, some phones, I'm right now I'm reviewing a Red Magic 5G, which is a fine phone, but you know, even at 144 hertz, which is one of the refresh rates it supports, it's, it's a gaming phone, mm. it still doesn't quite feel as slick as the OnePlus 8 at 120. But that's because, you know, OnePlus is known for optimizing the crap out of its software. Yeah, I was going to say, OnePlus has an amazing uh, launcher. Yeah, but at the same time, I notice it anyway. Like, I didn't think I would notice the difference between 90 and 120, but now that I've used both, I actually notice it. It's yeah. kind of crazy. By the way, for gaming, it makes a hell of a lot of difference. Like, uh, oh yeah, 
absolutely uh, so some of the younger generation and, and uh, by the way mid-tier phones if you're not running some of the games properly it becomes a problem so that's why i think cpu and gpu are, are a big big item i think the 690 is going to be killer i'm really looking forward to seeing these phones Alex, I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for coming and telling us more about it. And it's really good to hear your thoughts on where you see the market going and 5G, because I think that's, you know, the chips are obviously super critical, but it's nice to hear it from, you know, the horse's mouth as to what we should be expecting. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for inviting me, Miriam. It's It's a pleasure to talk to you. And Sasha, it's very good talking to you again. Always good to talk to you, Alex. Thank you. So, Sasha, what's your take on what we just heard from Alex? I mean, I think the 690 is going to uh, help Qualcomm's position and help push 5G in a lot of places like China and Southeast Asia and India. And I do understand that Qualcomm is a global company. Um, At the same time, you know, I don't think it necessarily solves Uh, many of our frustrations here in the U.S., especially uh, because our sub-6 networks aren't so great. Uh, But uh, I would be curious to know what you think of it, especially in the Indian context, because you're a lot more in tune with the Indian market than I am. Yeah, look, I mean, I have, uh, I would say if you look at my audience, half is U.S. by a majority. And then we have combined the rest of English-speaking countries that have English speakers, such as India, Canada, Australia and the UK, also, you know, countries where English is spoken pretty fluently, like Germany. And it's interesting to see they have different perspectives. There's definitely a European zeitgeist on 5G and then, of course, our US one. And then India, Asia, India, it's very much its own thing. India is super price driven. But because of that, OEMs, uh, manufacturers have really targeted making phones that are, and also they're very spec centric so they're Mm -hmm. making spec monsters at incredible prices Mm -hmm. and the way that i think they're cutting corners is you know software maybe um materials a little bit maybe but it's so competitive that it's incredible what you can get for 200 dollars. like i don't know if you saw uh bong's video recently we talked about it on last week's show he reviewed a xiaomi redmi note 9 pro max it's a 180 dollar phone with a snapdragon 720 or 730 Mm mm-hmm and it has four cameras and like it's insane it's 180 bucks well doesn't Xiaomi have uh doesn't doesn't Xiaomi have some sort of uh, alternative uh, uh alternative revenue model where they're also selling services and subscriptions and their own they app do. store and that sort of stuff and so it could be subsidized but i still feel like you know you look at Poco F2 Pro that just came out recently and the Poco F1 prior to that, Snapdragon 865 with an X55 modem for less than $500. Yeah, that's the cheapest one right now. That just blows my mind. Yeah. And and I think you could say it's, yeah, maybe it's subsidized, but like, I don't know, like when I get one of these phones to review, nothing is forcing me to join the Xiaomi services. They're Mm -hmm. there. It suggests I do it at setup, but in the same way as Huawei suggests I create an account, in the same way as pretty much everyone suggests I make an account these days. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like they're forcing me to subsidize their phone in a way like Amazon would, you know? So, I mean, that said, though, I do think it's important that in markets like that, uh, in markets like that, there be a 5G option in the mid-range if, if they want to push forward 5G. And sure. so the 690 is a good start there, but it's just a start. 
Yeah, I'm really surprised at how few MediaTek, you know, Dimensity phones have been announced, never mind are available, even in those markets. Like, I got an Oppo Reno 3 Pro that just landed. It's not the 5G version. So this one has an Helio P95 in it. But there Mm is a 5G version, and guess what? It's 765. I think MediaTek may be having trouble making Dimensities right now. You think it's a yield chip problem? Yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's a manufacturing problem. I think it may have to do with uh, the whole COVID supply chain disruption. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I'm I'm gung ho about either. Like, I personally just want to see five G phones at three hundred dollars at Seven Eleven. Like, I'm joking, but you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, no, I absolutely agree. When I've been talking to carriers, um, I was talking to uh, Bell Canada uh, uh-huh. the other day. And I was asking them because they just launched a very a, a very narrow band 5G network. It's 10 megahertz of AWS. And I said, uh, and I was talking to the guy there, and I was like, so what's performance going to be like? And he was like, realistically, we right now have four C- four carrier aggregation on LTE, and this is basically like five carrier aggregation. And I said, okay, so why not add a fifth LTE carrier? Why make this 5G when nobody has 5G phones yet? And he said, 5G is the future. We are not putting in the old technology. We're putting in the new technology for the next 10 years. It makes sense, right? It makes sense. It makes sense, absolutely, from the operator perspective. But we're just going to see, um, without affordable devices, we are going to see more and more consumers frozen out of these new, relatively clear lanes of the networks. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I know that my time because of pandemic has been mostly spent in the Bay Area and in Portland. And, you know, now that I've moved out of there, I'm not going to experience that anymore. But I have to say, I'm really impressed with what T-Mobile and even AT&T have done with low band. It's pretty much freaking everywhere and it just works. I mean, it's everywhere, but the but the issue there, and I mean, this is a little bit of an issue with what's going to happen with Bell, too, is that it isn't necessarily right now differentiated performance. I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens and what new products appear when they're able to go to standalone networks. Yeah. And then they can do their things like super low latency and network slicing and um, and uh, congestion relief because of a larger addressable body of devices and a whole bunch of things that they can't do right now because they have to use 4G for the handshakes. But back to what you were saying with Bell, right? When they said it's the future. Think about it. If you buy a phone today with a 690, I mean today, six months from now with a 690, you're future-proofing that as a customer, right? Right, exactly. As soon as T-Mobile switches SA on, well, guess what? All of a sudden, you get lower latency and maybe slightly better performance, right? Exactly. And those options are not really in our market right now for people who want to buy now for like looking, for, looking forward to the next three years. Yeah. What do you take on what Verizon, the mess that Verizon is in? Right? I, I really feel that they're screwed. I mean, I know that you told me they don't really have any low band coming up anytime soon. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, relying on, they're going to rely on DSS, dynamic spectrum sharing. Um, I don't know how much of an impact that's going to make for them. They are going to have to go all in at the table with the C-band auction in December. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, they're like, I honestly, I, I don't want to be a pain with, but I want to, I, I'm, I'm not going to like recommend millimeter wave phones to people. 
as you call it, the millimeter wave tax, I actually stole that mm -hmm. and put it in my review of the Moto Edge Plus on hot hardware because I'm like, this phone is completely crazy. Like it's, I can't recommend it. Yeah, it's right now, it's a $100 tax on everything. It's a $100 tax for a phone that you can use on 4G most of the time and you can't mm -hmm. unlock to use on T-Mobile and AT&T to even get their 5G. Like, mm -hmm. what's the point? I mean, the phone is fine. I like it, it's good. But like, it's like, can you believe that the OnePlus for Verizon and the S20 base for Verizon are $100 more and different, technically different phones? Less RAM and no micro SD on the S20 different position for the button so you need different cases for the one plus eight i feel like we're back in 2010 again here right with like yeah. this galaxy s2 for verizon the galaxy s2 for at&t and t-mobile and sprint millimeter wave just turns out to turns turns out to be much more difficult to work with at every level than i think uh than than verizon bet on and i'm really interested we finally got uh, our act together for our fastest mobile networks driving this year. The drivers are going to go out in July and uh, they are going to have millimeter wave devices. And I am so curious to see the real life maps that I end up with. I mean, if you're driving, man, I don't even think you're going to lock on to millimeter wave on a millimeter wave block for more than a second. I'll still see it. Yeah, you might. I I'm not saying it's a bad idea at all. I'm glad you're doing it. I'm just saying like, this is kind of my gut feeling about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the, way we, the way we manage the fastest mobile networks testing, there's a lot of stopping. It's not... Uh, oh, okay. You know, yeah, it's... Not drive-by. <laughs> no, what happens is that we have the drivers stop in a certain number of places per city, scattered throughout the city, and then we also lump together uh, some of the drive-by data, but most of the data is from stationary. So I, I will get a bit of a picture of... Uh, you know, these even even these like Verizon's uh, millimeter wave coverage map is not great, but I suspect even that is not quite telling the truth. Right. Do you are you also testing millimeter wave on AT&T and T-Mobile? Uh, yeah, we're using S20 pluses for all three carriers for 5G. So the millimeter wave is going to show up. Oh, OK. So they can switch between and pick and choose. And will you be able to? keep track of if you're in an area that has both or all three for T-Mobile, like mid, low, and high band? No, we're just going to see what the S20 Plus chooses to access. Latches on, yeah, got it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to that one. This is going to be the big reveal. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you're going to piss off a lot of people. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it is, it is, uh, it's, it's going to be really educational what it, what ends up coming out. Uh, I think we're going to be, we're going to publish that probably the end of August. Cause it takes a while for me to put together all the data. I mean, I think it's so necessary. Uh, thanks for doing the work because I think like, you know, we right now we're kind of theorizing, like for me, as I said, 5g is working. It's great. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, my expectations are low. I'm, I know it's not going to be much better than LTE on low band. So I'm happy with it. But like, what is the reality, right? Like that is what I'd love to know. And then the other thing is, as, as I said earlier, when Alex was on, there is no technically no 5G on, on T-Mobile in the Bay Area at all. It doesn't exist huh. if you look at their coverage map. Yet, let me tell you, Sasha, it's freaking everywhere. In pockets, though. Like at my house, I don't get it. But if I go across the Bay in Alameda, all of Alameda has it. Have you seen what band it's on? Is it on 71? I think it's 71. Can I tell? How can I tell? 
if you have, I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a tip later, but if you have a Samsung phone on T-Mobile, you can punch it into a field test mode, which will show exactly what bands you're connected ah, to. Oh yeah. Field test modes. Yeah, for sure. I don't have the codes for those and mostly I'm on a OnePlus 8 Pro because that's my daily driver right now. On yeah. T-Mobile. You have to do it on a Samsung. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll try it though, because that'll be interesting. I can report it back to you because that's the only big pocket that we have right now where it's technically not even supposed to exist. Yet every time I go, it's like beautiful bars and the speeds are slightly better than LTE. It's like the best case scenario of 5G you can imagine, probably because nobody knows about it. I think I think San Francisco had really late clearance of the TV channel that was in T-Mobile's 600 spectrum. And that uh, was the issue. Yeah. I mean, look, it's exciting. I am all gung-ho about it. And that's why I want to see cheaper phones now. And mm-hmm. And like, you know, this Red Magic 5G I just talked about, um, that wasn't that isn't necessarily quite as smooth as it should be for 144 hertz. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is all very relative. It's a freaking fast phone. Um, is a 5G phone that supports low and mid band and is US sold and supported. Mm-hmm. So it actually works on Timo and AT and T very well on 5G and so even supports 4G LTE on Verizon. And then it's not anecdotal. Like I tested it. I can make voice calls. I can text. And it it doesn't like turn on and off like sometimes you put a verizon sim in a phone and it works and then it kind of stops working and then it starts working again as if like the network kicks you out you know mm-hmm. uh, and then you know it's not certified and official but i think they might have gotten uh the green light from verizon for this phone since it's officially sold in the u.s and it's here's the interesting thing sasha as much as i you know make fun of verizon a lot on this show i'm getting better performance on 4g lte on verizon in most places here in the Bay Area. Uh, when I get full bars of signal, then I get on 5G on T-Mobile and AT&T. So. Oh yeah, Verizon has, Verizon has really boosted up their 4G performance. I noticed that when testing uh, the S20 series here in, uh, uh, here in New York back in March, I was uh, testing the S20s on Verizon and I was getting these speeds on LTE. Like I'm getting 100 megabits down like re- regularly on Verizon LTE. I was right getting now. like I was getting like 300 400 and I Jeez. called up uh, Milan Milanovic who is, you know, my 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 uh, favorite network expert and I said that's LAA, right? And he was like, "Nope, they've just done really well with the LTE around here." Wow. Yeah, so I mean, look, as much as I make fun of Verizon for their millimeter wave obsession and their, you know, prices and their weirdness um Mm -hmm. they are doing some good things here and uh, but i still i'm still going to be a t-mobile customer in the end it's still for me the the better balance between network performance coverage and for my needs and uh price especially that international roaming which i'm really not using right now but at some point (laughs) one day remember those things that flew in the sky that were made of aluminum and composite materials flying saucers yeah those things i want to get back in them go to your alien planet that's right Let's switch to some news items, will you? Yeah, do you feel that the Galaxy A71 at all solves the problems that we've been discussing this entire podcast so far? So you bringing that up actually reminds me of what I was going to say about the freaking Red Magic 5G. It's $579 for Snapdragon 865X55 phones sold in the US. Mm-hmm. So we're getting very close to the, five, to the sub $500 of the Pocophone F2 Pro that is sold not officially in the US and is a 5G Snapdragon 865 mm-hmm. phone. So 
to me, when I see this A71 rah, rah, rah on T-Mobile, like I'm excited because I love T-Mobile and, I'm, and I think the Galaxy A series is a good series. The 51 mm. is a bestseller despite its crappy Exynos chip. This will have a Qualcomm chip in it, so it's got to be less crappy. But then I look at it and go like, this price is ridiculous. Yeah, didn't Samsung promise an A51 5G at some point? Did we get bait and switch? Yeah, they did. And T-Mobile said that in their press release. It's coming later this summer. Okay, okay. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the A71, there's just not enough differentiation from the OnePlus 8's level to make a difference. Let's wait and see what the A51 does. Yeah, I agree. But still, like, the price on that A71 is the only thing making me scratch my head. When I, I mean, I know the Red Magic 5G is not sold by carriers, but it's a good phone in every way other than that. And so mm -hmm. I'm asking my question. The question is, like, if I'm a performance-oriented buyer, why would I buy that? Like, it's a tough sell. If it was $450, i would be like, yes, it's a $100 yeah. difference. Absolutely worth my time. Even if I'm a gamer, because the 765 is not a bad gaming chip, you know? No. And that's a 765G, I believe. Correct. So the A71 5G is available in the US. I think there might be an unlocked version coming, but definitely on T-Mobile. And then mm -hmm. there's an A51 5G coming later this summer. Yeah, and I think I think uh, at, around PC Mag, and I think you too, we are more excited for the potential of the A51 5G and the TCL 10 5G. Correct. Which are both coming later this summer. Both might target around 500 and both come from uh, companies that make absolutely gorgeous screens. Yes. And then I'm also excited, believe it or not, about another phone that's rumored to come to the US. And what phone is that? The ZTE Axon 11 5G. You think the ZTE will actually manage to sell the Axon 11 here? They might not be able to sell it, but it's coming to the US and you'll be able to buy it unlocked and maybe. <laughs> and then, you know, it's another option. Last year, other than the cameras, the Axon 10 Pro, I mean, the cameras were fine on paper. Uh -huh. Hardware was okay. It's just the software's crap. Other than the camera performance, that phone for the money was incredible. Oh, the Axons have been the Axons have been lovely for ages. Uh, I remember back, you know, back before ZTE's troubles. Um, I sold a whole bunch. I sold a bunch of my friends Axon Sevens because oh, at yeah. that time, that 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 phone was a star. For sure. So apparently, Axon 11 5G, and there's a 4G version with the MediaTek P70 that's mm -hmm. out in Germany now and it's coming to the US, uh, maybe. Now, I would say that ZTE, ZTE has been sneaking back into certain US carriers. Uh, Visible, Verizon's prepaid arm, has been selling some ZTE blades with a really good price performance uh, uh, equation there. Yeah. And they've been selling them officially. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's quite possible they're going to sell this in the US like they did with the Axon 10 Pro. Um, so let's wait and see. But these are, so we're just talking in telling the audience here what to expect in terms of 5G affordable phones because that kind of was the focus after mm -hmm. this 690 news. Now, nothing's been announced at 690. We don't know. That's probably much later. But since the 675 and 75G and now 768G have been announced a while ago now, well, at least the 65s, we should, that's why we, we're complaining that we're not seeing these phones yet in the US because that's a big deal. The other one that's remote to come, but probably not in the US, which is I'm really worried it's going to be India only. Is the OnePlus Z or Z or 8 Lite or whatever? That's 765 as well. Big floating question mark around that. I mean, yeah. maybe it's just that 
my contacts don't extend very well out of the US. But, you know, when I put my ear to the ground about that, I get uh, people saying essentially a false rumor, false rumor, false rumor, which just might mean it's an India only product. Yeah, I feel it's India only, unfortunately. But here's the thing. If we can import it and it supports the bands, then we're good. Um, you want to know which phone supports low band 5G on AT&T and T-Mobile? That totally blew my mind. Didn't expect this would happen. What? The Huawei P40 Pro and Huawei P40 Pro Plus. Yeah, pity about that app store. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, these phones don't even have a Qualcomm chip in them. They have yeah. like, I don't even know if it's the integrated modem from from Huawei and the Kirin chip, or if it's like the Balong or whatever it's called, the mm-hmm. separate modem. But the reality is you can put a SIM in there and it's, and it's glorious. It's one of the fastest I've used on 5G, actually. Yeah, I mean, the P40, uh, you know, we've, we, we've been through this, but the P40 has lovely, lovely cameras, but honestly... Oh, you can't use this phone, no. Yeah, you can't use it. Nobody, nobody's going to nobody's gonna use a phone in the US without Google Mobile Services. I'm just bringing up the fact that, you know, the Oppo Find X2 Pro, which I reviewed on Hot Hardware, which is basically a OnePlus 8 Pro on steroids, mm-hmm. like a luxury version with a periscopic telephoto, does not support 5G in the US mm. of any kind. Yet the P40 Pro, which you don't want because it doesn't have an app store that you can use in North America, is perfectly fine on North American 5G. It's just weird. You know what I'm saying? Now, now let me throw out where I think we're going to see a 690 just randomly. Uh-huh. I think the 690 will be in the LG Velvet 2. Okay. I'm thinking the first uh, 690 we're going to get in the US will be a Moto G. Ooh, no. Okay, so Moto, so the Moto G series, that's why I was asking Alex that question, differentiating between the 620, 630 uh-huh. series and the 690s. That was a good sneaky question. I liked it. Yeah, Moto generally does not go that high with the Gs because those chips are just a little too expensive for them. But they've had a G Plus in the past, remember? Um. Yeah, but I think that was, wasn't that 636? That was usually the highest, at the time, the highest. I think it was a 665. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe you're right, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, it's possible, right? Like, if I was Moto, this would make perfect sense. But Moto doesn't make much sense, so... Yeah, yeah, and LG was on the list of uh, launch partners. Yeah, but you know who else was on the list? TCL, and we know the 10 5G is 765. That's true. What's coming that's 690, then? Huh? TCL makes a whole lot of phones in China, I think. No, I'm thinking more like my gut was wanting to see a TCL phone in the U.S. with a mm-hmm. 690 next year or something. Maybe the the 11 or the 20, whatever they're <laughs> going to call it next, you know. So what do you what do you think of the LG Velvet idea? Does that make you think LG is coming back at all? So that's funny because it's on my topic list. Apparently, it's coming to the U.S. That's the news for by the way for the LG Velvet, which is a 765 5G phone. I'm a little confused by that phone. Like it looks gorgeous. I'm very mm. happy about what I'm seeing. It's LG. I love their phones. I can care less about the dual screen thing. It's always a disaster. I don't think they're going to get better about it. I don't like it. That's my personal opinion. I reviewed mm-hmm. the V64 hot hardware as well, and that's what I said. I was like, this is a gimmick. It doesn't, it doesn't help. I'm worried that by including the case with the US carriers, at least with the V60, and I'm not sure if that'll be the case with the Velvet, that they're basically having to subsidize like part of the 
cost of this case by lowering some of the specs on the phone, like no telephoto on the V60, no 120 or 90 hertz display on the V60, right? The price was aggressive, but I felt that the specs did not match what we expect from a flagship, you know? I mean, I'm worried that, and, and I'm worried that this whole bundle is going to make the phone too expensive right. and therefore make it unable to uh, differentiate, especially from uh, the OnePlus 8. I mean, LG has a habit of catering to the carriers and cutting features off of existing phones in other markets to bring mm -hmm. them to the US for a lower price. And while the LG Velvet so far in Korea and the European version that was just announced is looking hot and it's priced for those markets, i.e. very expensive in Korea and reasonably mm -hmm. expensive in, in Europe, Mm -hmm. To come to the U.S. with a 765, it needs to be $550, $600, right? Absolutely. And at that price, like, how do you justify the dual case in that bundle? Like, without, like, really hurting your bottom line? Or, or do you increase the price? And then you're very close to the V60 on sale, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the way, the way the V60 street prices have been swinging wildly has been insane. The fact that... But that's, um, that's LG. Yeah, the fact that it, it has this very high MSRP, and some days of the week it's on the market for the MSRP, and then you're like, uh, this is basically the same price as a Galaxy S20. And then you wake up and you look at Verizon's website, and it's on sale for half price with no explanation, and then it stops. It's just ridiculous. I, I love LG, but as I've said in my V60 review, can we please drop the dual case gimmick and focus on giving us a real telephoto and the real specs we want, like a 90 hertz display and 120 mm -hmm. hertz display? And can we please stop catering to the carriers? Your customers are the users, not the freaking carriers, LG. I know you're in a bit of a, between a rock and a hard place, like some other manufacturers that are slowly dying, but you need to stand your ground to be relevant. For us media to put you on a pedestal, we need to see these things, you know? But also talking, talking display, I mean, LG, was, I mean, LG has a name in display. LG were the creators of the first OLED television. No, that, that was Sony. The and first, the first plastic bendable AMOLED, like everything. Right, the first widely available OLED television. Um, yeah, LG has, LG display, LG chem for batteries. Um, the various arms of LG make wonderful things. And yet that... I love their washers and dryers, by the yeah. way. Yeah, they're, um, I have been trying to buy a new variety of LG air conditioner for the past two months, and it's sold out everywhere because it uses this new dual inverter technology. But now we're getting really off the topic of the mobile tech podcast. It doesn't matter. This is what this podcast is all about. Okay. You go nuts about air conditioners. I have a thing for inverters, man. Like LG calls the inverter technology basically DC brushless MOSFET controlled motors, right? They're basically, they don't wear out. They're very power efficient and very adjustable in speed. And they make a big difference if you put them in an appliance. So every time yep. I see the word inverter, as an engineer, I'm like, yes, you're doing it right, LG. Thank you, thank you. And it gets better because this, this new series of uh, air conditioners from LG, um, what they've done is they've put, um, it's, 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 almost like, it's almost like we saw with, uh, it's almost like we've seen with phone chipsets. Instead of putting one big motor in there, they put two smaller ones so it's quieter. Exactly. Yeah. It is apparently whisper quiet. And so why aren't we seeing that kind of LG innovation 
in the phones. Exactly. And that's the problem is because they keep listening to the carriers. They keep bending Mm -hmm. over backwards for them. And I know the carriers might say, we don't want to sell you anymore, but I really don't think that's going to happen. Like, I feel that they can find a compromise and still accommodate the users and say, look, you know, we are losing our mind share of being one of the top players in the US because you're forcing us to do these phones this way. This does not work for us. Can we find a middle ground that works for everyone here? push back a little bit, you know? And the, the carriers don't want to be uh, Apple and Samsung shops. Exactly. They're, they're getting really worried about that right now. So mm-hmm. I, don't th- I think LG doesn't have the spine to do it, though. It's a cultural difference thing. Yeah, and it, it certainly doesn't help just to move on to a, another one of uh, the products on your list. It certainly doesn't help that uh, we're not getting any Google phones. Oh, my God. What is going on with this? I am so frustrated because, look, On paper, when it was leaked originally, the Pixel 4a, I was like, oh my God, I could live with this as a daily driver. I'm so Mm -hmm. sick and tired of in-display fingerprint sensors, one on the back that I can unlock while it's still in my pocket, like pull the phone out, it's completely unlocked, is is nice. Headphone jack is nice. The plastic finish on the 3a was lovely. The thing I didn't like about the 3a and I still don't like is that it feels like the iPhone SE so backwards because it has so much bezel top and bottom, right? <laughs> if in the 4A had that really nice uniform bezel all the way around, very much like the iPhone 11 and mm-hmm. XR, and I was like, this is what we need. But dude, we needed that phone in freaking January. Yes. Like now it's a 4G phone with a Snapdragon 730 that's not even coming out till what, October? Yeah. It better have a 765 at that point or a 690 or something. Seriously, like, it's not going to happen with Google, though. Not happening. Well, it's, yeah, no, it's not. It's not. They're, they're just going to, I mean, they're going to launch that. The, the, the best you can say is that maybe they'll launch it at 299 Yeah, the best they can do is keep lowering the prices and lo- lose mm-hmm. on money on it. But honestly, at 299 for a Pixel with a Pixel camera, <laughs> that might save it. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the vast majority of people are not going to have... Okay, so when you're talking about a 299 phone as opposed to a $1,000 phone, you're not necessarily talking about a three-year investment. And the vast majority of people in the U.S. are not going to have meaningful 5G differences in performance for about another year. So a 299 4G phone, I can definitely make an argument for that where I could not make an argument for a $1,000 4G phone. I mean, I would argue that a 299, a pixel grade camera is like, that's it. You're done. Like, that's all you have to say. Yeah. Like, forget it. Like, the rest of the phone can be trash at this point. It's fine. So it's a, it's a point and shoot camera with a modem in it. Yeah, kind of like the P40 Pro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'm going to hear from Huawei PR about that one. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of defunct, quote unquote, sorry, LG. <laughs> Uh, smartphone companies are dying or zombie now? Zombie companies. Uh, HTC launched their first 5G phone in Taiwan, the HTC U20, which is about as mid-range as you can make a mid-range phone today. So HTC has become a regional smartphone maker in Taiwan over the past couple of years. Uh, they become like, so if you go to countries that are countries that you may not pay attention to, like, say, the Philippines or Vietnam or Croatia, you find that there are these weird companies, these weird OEMs that pretty much only sell phones in that country. Like NOAA, N-O-A. Exactly. I have a NOAA phone, by the way. I think that's our Croatia example. Croatia, 
I got them to give me a phone at MWC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't suck. It was fine. Right. Or Wiko, which exists pretty much in Poland and France, I believe. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, and, and there, I forget the names, but there's a couple of those in the Philippines. There's a big one in Vietnam. There's, and HTC has kind of retracted to become one of those regional phone makers in Taiwan, I guess, just because they have an amazing brand there. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, this phone is not that exciting, but it has a Snapdragon 765G. Woohoo, look at this. Mm-hmm. The 765 phones are coming. To Taiwan. I mean, to Taiwan, but that means you can buy one because you can go to Taiwan and then, of course, come back to the US and it doesn't have US bands. Yeah, but Taiwan is also like, I mean, the, if, if you look at the, if you look at some of these very particular Asian markets, you get this list of top OEMs, which is extremely idiosyncratic like you know you look at japan and you know sharp and panasonic still exist yep and you look at taiwan and uh if you've ever wondered where asus and acer are selling phones it's taiwan i mean it's amazing it's like you go to taiwan which i do every year for computex oh no makes making me sad because i didn't go this year and i go and you look at the stores you go to the care stores it's like oh look at that asus this htc that you're like <laughs> oh this is like a parallel universe where htc became the number one phone maker in the world it really is when i was in uh, when i was in korea back in january uh, one of the things that struck me there just calling back to our lg discussion is that um where pretty much where we in New York or San Francisco would have Apple stores in Seoul, there is either a Samsung store or an LG store. And there are that many of them. They're everywhere. Exactly. And it's really weird because Korea is one of those countries where the carriers really control the phones. So when you buy a phone, even at the Samsung or LG store, immediately you pick your carrier and it's that carrier version of the phone. Mm Mm-hmm. And it has to be on the white list. Otherwise, it doesn't work on any network, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't use black or white lists. Uh, I mean, they don't, they don't use blacklists like we do where a phone I make can be blacklisted and no longer works on the network. By default, every phone you try to put register on a Korean network will not work unless it's in their database. So that's why when you bring your unlocked phone to Korea and put a local SIM in your SOL. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, it was even worse because the local phones had really freaky firmware on them to do um, some really unique things involving uh, uh, 4G Wi-Fi channel bonding. Yes. And do you remember the antenna for the TV, the digital TV broadcasting? Oh, yeah. Five years ago, like back uh-huh. in the days of the G3 and the G4, man, G, G, G2 and G3 from LG. Mm-hmm. You know, you could buy the Korean version and it had like a little telescopic antenna for the DVB, right? The, the whatever it's called, the digital TV broadcast system there. Yeah, but I mean, you, you go back and uh, that, that reminds me of one of my favorite phone testing stories uh, from long ago. Oh, do tell. Which was, okay, so when uh, Verizon decided to launch broadcast TV using Qualcomm MediaFlow and the I LG VX9400. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, I, I, being me, went to the closest, uh, the closest metro where it was launched, which was Richmond, Virginia. Uh-huh. And a Verizon guy gives me an LG VX9400, and I fire up. It was linear TV. It was not on demand. It was straight broadcast. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and so I fire up uh, my 12 channels of media flow, and one of them is The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Great. I love Jon Stewart. 
So I am trying to uh, check out how the reception works, and I pop up my three and a half inch long antenna from the That's top right. of my flip phone. Yeah. Um, I'm watching John Stewart. I'm walking out on the streets of Richmond, Virginia. Um, I'm really enjoying what he's saying about George W. Bush, and oof, I walk straight into a parking meter. Like, without <laughs> stopping or pausing at full walking speed because I was paying too much attention to Jon Stewart. I am knocked down. The VX9400 is knocked down. Um, and for the next several days, I had a weird parking meter-shaped bruise on my chest because <laughs> I had been paying too much attention to my mobile TV. I never heard this story before, Sasha. Thank you for sharing with our audience. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Wow. So don't walk and watch video, folks. That is the takeaway. One quick final topic because we have to wrap up. What are your thoughts on this Lenovo finally launching a Qualcomm equipped, 5G equipped ACPC in the Lenovo Flex 5G? Um, Verizon so, only. What the? What? Yeah. So I, I, do get, I do get the Verizon connection here because... Um, mobile broadband at the PC level is a great showcase for millimeter wave speeds. For sure. But where is this going to be usable? I guess now in the COVID times... In time, Chicago, along the loop. Well, I was going to say in the COVID times, now we're all sitting outdoors. So maybe that's it. But the whole outdoor indoor thing about millimeter wave, um, it's... it's Verizon just needs to, you know, Ver Verizon just needs to make this network more usable. That's yeah. really what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm excited about it because, I mean, I like ACPCs and, and it's nice to have one is 5G. This thing, I actually touched this thing at Computex a year ago. Mm -hmm. It's taken this long for it to come to market, mm -hmm. but it's here. And so if you're a Verizon customer and you want to live on the edge of 5G, this is it. Yeah, and that said, um, performance on the 8CX chipset is not bad. No, it's not. It's great. Uh, especially if you run 64-bit app, like the new Edge is incredible. Mm -hmm. Firefox is really solid. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't use the old Edge or don't use Chrome because there's no 64-bit there's no build of Chrome yet. But um, we should wrap up. Sasha, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? Yes, absolutely. So I'm the lead analyst at uh, PCMag.com. So of course, I'm at PCMag.com. Um, but I'm also constantly on Twitter. That's Twitter.com slash Sasha Segan. And uh, as I said earlier in the show, um, my big project right now is that I am getting ready to send out our annual fastest mobile networks drivers. It's our big, uh, unique drive test of all the 4G and 5G networks across the US and Canada. And uh, we will see those features coming out later this summer and fall. I'm looking forward to it. Folks, check out Sasha Segan's work at PC Mag. Watch him tweet away madly on Twitter. It's really worth it. You know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and on Instagram. Twitter is where you should uh, interact with me about this podcast. If you have questions, comments, corrections, whatever, please tweet at me. Ask me what you need to do there. Uh, there's no standardized way of commenting on podcasts, as you know. Also, Instagram is where you'll find photos of phones and photos taken with phones. I always have a bunch of weird, uh, interesting little phones that are not necessarily available in the U.S., so check that out. 
TNKGRL on Twitter and Instagram. There's also a YouTube channel for the Mobile Tech Podcast. Naturally, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. You'll find some videos there of primarily unboxing, some hands-on, some reviews. But basically, if you're looking for visual content about some of the devices we just talked about today, you'll find it on the YouTube channel. And then if you stumbled upon this show by accident or maybe you got invited by Alex at Qualcomm to listen, please subscribe. MobileTechPodcast.com is the URL. You can subscribe there. There's an old school RSS feed. But we're also on all the major podcasting platforms. So like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and then of course Spotify, which is a big deal now for podcasts. Check us out there. Look for Mobile Tech Podcast with Tankerl, TNKGRL, and you'll find us. Yeah, and if you can donate, that would really help. There's a donate link in the show notes. And, uh, you know, check it out. Please consider helping the show with your donations. And finally, we have a great sponsor that I want to thank because they've been with us since the early days, and that's Audible. Audible is the platform for audiobooks. If you love audiobooks and you like reading, even if you just like books, maybe you're a delivery driver and you're stuck in your vehicle all day and you are sick and tired of listening to podcasts, maybe you want to listen to a book. Well, Audible's got you covered. They've got an incredible selection of books and some of them are read by the authors. It's really awesome. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because if you are not already on Audible, you can join Audible and help the podcast. And you can do that for 30 days for free, uh, no strings attached, and you get a free book at the end, whether you stay or not. So consider helping the podcast and consider looking at Audible. There is a URL in the show notes and I'm gonna read it out so you can join. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you click through that and sign up for Audible, you'll be able to support us, which we really appreciate. And Sasha, thank you for being on the show again. Thanks for having me on anytime. Absolutely. And I also want to thank Alex, who's now gone, for being on the show. Thanks to Qualcomm for making that happen. And folks, we'll have another show next week as always. So stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.